So I'm going to talk to you about inheritance this morning as I talk to you about spiritual warfare. I'm very stirred up about this. I'm also stirred up in a way I've never been stirred in my pastoral ministry. I'm stirred up about our nation. I've always been so much a kingdom guy, I've almost been neglectful of the nation. But the Lord establishes the nations. And I'm going to show you some stuff about that this morning as we talk about spiritual warfare. And as we come through the end of, of, uh, of Ephesians, going into Ephesians 6. So, I say this from time to time, I'll remind you again. Things are not as they appear. What does that mean? That means if you judge the condition of things by only the evidence that you can see, you're going to be deceived. This is one of the ways we frustrate many people in the world because we see the unseen. That is what it means to know God. We've, he, we've heard the voice of one whom having not seen, we love because he loved us first. We also understand that there are principalities and powers. So I'm going to back up because the end of Ephesians was uh, four spoken in the beginning of Ephesians. So this is chapter one, verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you. And one of the reasons, by the way, I give you so much is because Paul just made a long sentence. Remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I bless you that your eyes will be open. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. In other words, Paul is praying for the church to see things as they are and not as they appear. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. That's, he's giving you a vision of the unseen, a vision of the invisible. And then he says these words, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Got that? We read that and we just read over that. I'm going to tell you about those things. Not only in this age, but also the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him, that is Jesus, his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. If you've been with me in Hebrews, in the first two chapters of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews speaks about Christ and the unseen realm. It speaks about Christ and his exaltation over the created angelic forces. And inside of that, 
is some understanding about us as who we are in the context of principalities and powers. So those words, those ones rule, authority, power, dominion, and every name that is named, that is referencing the invisible world. Now, uh, you and I believe that the invisible world, world exists ontologically. That is, it has, it has being and existence. Everyone would agree that in the human created world, there are ideas and thoughts that control the way I think, the way we think. In fact, listen, what you would never, there's never been a time when it's easier for you to understand how this works. Because every idea is currently being challenged under a, a way of thinking called deconstruction. Deconstruction is the, is the idea that, that you have any thought form saying, uh, we're going we're gonna to take that apart. And that's why uh, one of the reasons I've stirred up for the country is deconstruction has been underway for a long time and now it's gotten very overt with a desire to, to destroy the family unit. It's come at a good time because the family unit is frayed to such, a, to such a degree that it's already weakened that deconstructing it for a lot of people sounds like, yeah, let's do that. So we're deconstructing male and female. We're deconstructing every thought force. You got it? So for many people, um, the principalities and powers are actually ruling ideas that control how we act. For you and I, they are that, plus they are actual beings of existence. Where does this come from? Well, this, this comes from the very beginning. When you begin to read your Bible, you read about a created man and a woman, and you read about another creature who had form, who they met, who they seemed to be familiar with. So I'm saying to you, the, in, the, in their innocent state, uh, the first man and the first woman encountered the principalities and powers visually. Along with the sin, uh, when sin came in, it brought alienation and blindness. And you and I, now as people of the Holy Spirit, are having the eyes of our understanding enlightened so we can see. Now I'm going to unpack this a little bit more for you because I have some fun with this. All right. Y'all remember Job? Y'all remember Job spending a whole bunch of time complaining to God? I don't spend much time with the first 35 chapters of Job because I can complain fine all by myself. <laughs> and I can reason foolishly all by myself. I don't need their ideas to help me think bad thoughts. No, I read it. But what I love is the book of Job comes around to the end where God says, okay, let me ask you some questions, smarty pants. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined the measurements? Surely you know. Who stretched the line upon it? 
On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? And then he says this phrase, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Man, and then it gets worse for Job after that. Anybody who knows me well can't wait till I have my moment like that with the Lord. I knew you would nod. Okay, here's what this passage is saying. God's saying, I, can, I know the mysteries of what I created. You don't know very much. You weren't there. And then it gives him a little clue. When the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy. What? In other words, before you were, something was. And so the Bible is pretty clear that God has a family beyond the human family. I want you to think about it that way. God made creatures, by the way, I think in his image, differently from us. He had another family of created powers. And all through the Bible, we get glimpses of this. It starts in Genesis. And boy, do we come to a greater glimpse of it when we come to the book of Revelation, where I am right now in chapter four and five. And John is in the heavenly places and he's, go, and he's going, well, this is different. And I saw, and I saw, and I saw. Okay, this phrase, sons of God, is an interesting phrase. And I'm gonna suggest to you that it meant to say that God had another family that he called sons of God before the human family. And they had a big role in overseeing uh, and participating in what God had done when he created. They, weren't, they didn't create. But it's reasonable to understand that they did do this. They participated in a divine council. <laughs> Government has always existed. God, by definition, is government. If you want heaven to come to earth, you need to get a government that reflects the heavenly government. One of the reasons that I'm all stirred up is because I believe that government should reflect heaven. And oh, by the way, one of the things that I'm telling you that you need to please understand is government does nothing without hooks in it. That is to say, when government is established, it has a claim on you. You want the government to be your mother and father? Then guess what? They will run your life. One of the reasons I'm zealous for America is America was built on a principle of, of suspicion of human government and suspicion of government's intrusion and extension into all parts of our life. And the founding fathers saw a life in which government had vastly limited authorities. But what you see is as soon as government established, what does it do? It seeks to control everything. And how does it do it? By promising to take care of you. There's a principality right there. 
That's principality. That's how it works. Has God said, and, and he started immediately talking to the woman about God's provision for her to eat. And immediately says, no, no, no. He's holding back on you. And she eats the food from the lying spirit. You getting it? All right, let's talk about the divine counsel. Psalm 82, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you before we get there that we're going to talk about um, these sons of God. Psalm 82, God, and the word is Elohim, has taken his place in the divine council. What? The psalmist is saying there's a divine government. God oversees it, but there's a council. In the midst of the gods, Elohim, same word. How do you know the difference? One of them modified by singular, his place. One of them midst of plural. You and I interchange the word God pretty freely, just like they did in the Hebrew language. Like, you know, I can promise you, Gail and I are from Mississippi. There were a whole bunch of Mississippi State fans yesterday looking at a quarterback throw for 600 yards and saying, he's a God. (laughs) Yeah. And so we throw this around. But we, everybody knows when you say Michael Jordan is a God, you're not talking about God. But most of the time, people let you get away with it. And dudes, they have a whole other language. She's a goddess. We're talking about human beings. We're talking about lesser beings. So we use it that way. The Bible actually uses it that way. Because the word Elohim could refer to the God who reigns and rules known as Yahweh or could be known under the more common but lesser exclusive name of Elohim. Elohim is used like 2,000 times in the Bible. And many of those times it refers to something other than Yahweh God. And here's a passage where we have it both. Have you got that? I'm going somewhere with an argument. How long will you judge unjustly? What do you mean? He's speaking to those who judge the earth. And he says, how long are you going to do this unjustly? And show partiality to the wicked. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness and all the foundations of the earth are shaken. And then he goes to this. I said you are gods, Elohim. Sons of the most high, all of you. Nevertheless, you will die like men. Like men you will die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth for you shall inherit the nations. And that's the psalmist Voice, the Psalms change voice. That last phrase is the psalmist saying an amen to the judgment that prophetically the psalmist has psalmed. 
Okay. What is the function of God's government? Rule, reign. Let me go further. Judgment. There's been this whole thing about taking judgment. There's this whole Christian movement about taking judgment out of life. I want you to know that judgment is real, it's ongoing, and you want it to happen. Why? Because judgment is the means that God uses to sort out evil. What God does about evil in the world is called judgment. Whether it is the ongoing saving action of our God who moves in the earth to set things right, as in to say, you reap what you sow, whether it is a massive intervention of God where everybody's looking around and saying, are we under the judgment of God? Here's the answer. I hope so. And you should hope so. Because every person who prays for the kingdom to come is praying for God to judge the earth. Crickets. Every person who prays for God's rule to come is praying for man's rule to end. Every person that prays for God's rule to come is praying for the rule of principalities and powers to be displaced, as we heard prophesied. (laughs) Are we having fun yet? All right. Psalm 82 is a psalm that gives us a glimpse into the divine council. You have heard the Mormons pick up this passage. You've heard them pick this up. I said, you are gods. And you think it was speaking about uh, human beings. No, it's not in that case. It's not. It's speaking of the created sons of the Most High, some of whom judge righteously and some unrighteously. That's why the psalmist is saying, now you're going to get judged. And all through the Bible, we we read about judgment. And the, the stricture, let judgment begin at the house of God, was a statement saying that let God begin by judging his own people Israel. And then from that, the whole earth. And frankly, that is what I'm not going to muddy it up right now. Got to go on. Okay, you, are, you, are you with me so far? Pastor, what have you said? <laughs> Mama Gail. Number one, I've said there are, un, there are creatures that are called the sons of God who are also God's family and they are described with the word Elohim. I have said these creatures make up a divine council wherein God rules and oversees his earth. I have said these these creatures have gone astray in their government and in their rulership. And I have said that God has said he will judge them. And I have said, open your eyes. And say, when you see a shaking, like we've got a shaking you got to say, redemption is drawing near. God is at work in the nations. I would also say evil is at work. Here we go. 
Okay, let's get some more understanding of these gods of the earth. Deuteronomy 32. Why am I bringing this up? Because I'm going to explain to you what I understand about how they function in the earth. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you. Your elders and they will tell you. This is, this is Moses speaking to the children of Israel just before Moses departs from them and turns things over to Joshua and they go into their inheritance. When the Most High gave to the nations their, ah. So now Moses, he's telling them about going and getting their inheritance. And he's looking back and saying, there was a time when the God gave the nations their inheritance. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, the Tower of Babel. You say, where do the nations come from? Tower of Babel. Language, nations, divisions. And fixed the borders. National boundaries. Of the peoples according to the numbers of what? Sons of God. There's that phrase. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, and his allotted heritage. <laughs> okay. Inheritance is your land. I've gotten very, very interested in the, in the writings of, uh, and the teachings of a guy named Joshua Mitchell, who is a, a professor of political theory at Georgetown University. Have I mentioned him to you? Gail's heard me mention, I don't know. I've gotten so interested because I heard just a little snippet of speech where he said he's been teaching for 13 years in the Middle East and his Middle Eastern students would come to him and say, why do you Americans and, and Europeans despise your inheritance so much? What's going on right now today? What's going on? There's a narrative inside of our nation that says we're an evil nation that needs to be deconstructed. Same thing is happening in Europe. What are the manifestations of it? Erasure of national boundaries, erasure of your language, uh, erasure of the meaning of citizenship. It's, it's, it's committing suicide. It's hating yourself for your own transgressions. And now that everybody started hating America, I love America. <laughs> and I want our nation to be saved and I want our nation's uh, inheritance to be preserved. And yes, I want God to judge our nation. That is to say, to set us right. That's what we want. But I don't want to be set right by the, the gods. 
All right. Deuteronomy, this is a worldview. The Deuteronomy worldview says the reason there are nations and the reason there are gods of the nations is because God did this at the Tower of Babel when men thought they would build their own mountain because that's what the tower actually was, a ziggurat. It was actually building a mountain because they believed God dwelled in the high places and they were building a mountain up to God because they were gonna reign and rule with God and God said, all fall down. Actually, that was a very dangerous action. You can be arrested for such things. Aerosol preaching is forbidden. You need the, you need the Gallagher sheets. You can't get this stuff just anywhere. All right, you guys get this? And now it says, but the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. The function that God had for Israel from the beginning, whether you know it or not, was that God would one day reestablish his reign and rule by starting it in the midst of one people and out of that one people building a transnational polyglot nation of every tongue, language, kindred who are identified by what they have in common and not identified by what they have that differentiates them from one another. Identity politics is the opposite of the kingdom of God. God wants to make us into one by his spirit and by his rule. Now, having said that, no, I'm not going down that trail. I'll come back for another day. All right, all this. You guys always get the revised sermon, just so you know. Now we come to Ephesians. I finally got you to the text. All that was introduction. <laughs> finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Hallelujah says a man who is in prison to a people who are a tiny minority in the midst of a kingdom that ruled the world. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. It's time to learn how to stand. I'm gonna be honest with you. Taking a stand does not just mean being nice all the time. Taking a stand means to say no to the principalities and powers. It means to say no to the spirit of intimidation. Taking a stand means to refuse to submit to ungodly things. This is why I don't want to come to this passage about spiritual warfare and say, well, really all it means is be a nice person and pray more. No, it means pray like a warrior and stand like a warrior. I want you to be able to fight against the schemes of the devil. What are the schemes of the devil? Exactly what they've always been. I'm gonna whisper lies in your ear until you don't know what the truth is and you eat the food that I give you and you come under the government that I have. It's the same as it's always been. The schemes of the devil were to get you to comply. In those days, the scheme of the devil was to exalt the Caesar as Lord and cause the people of the earth to all proclaim him as Lord. 
and their standing was their refusal to compromise to save their lives. Their refusal to save their skin by submitting to the, the powers of the nations. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but guess what? There will be flesh and blood involved in it. Why is he telling us that? Because he, he did not call us to hate one another. But we wrestle against, and there's those words, rulers, authorities, cosmic powers of the present darkness and against the spiritual forces of the evil in the heavenly places. Let me say it another way, the gods of the earth. The gods of the nations. This is why all the way through the New Testament, the one thing they were forsworn against was idolatry. Now, I'm going to tell you something, folks. When you make your government your protector, your provider, and the one who tells you what to do, you've made a God out of government. I'm back to my claim that government is best when it allows people to flourish, not when it tries to cause human flourishing. Because everywhere that this false promise of government-induced human flourishing, everywhere that it's placed, there's been poverty, misery, colorlessness, and death. And people happily gave themselves over to it in the name of equity. I'm, I'm whispering to you the, the, the lies of the enemy. <clears throat> Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Now again, whether the government comes under the conditions that we think are optimal or not, we are called to stand. What's going on here? These are the words that Paul uses to describe unseen powers. Rulers, principalities, powers as in authorities, exousia, powers as in dynamite, dunamis, dominions and lords, kyrios, thrones, and world rulers, cosmos. See that word, the world's rulers. These are the words these, these expressions are the ones that are found variously in Paul's writings on his lips to describe the unseen realm. It does manifest in the human realm in the form of ideologies, government powers, One little more comment. I maintained before you a few weeks ago that I said, look, uh, uh, that America is a country with a wonderful national covenant and a history of failing to live up to that covenant for all its citizens. Equality means that what we should have is equality under the law, 
so that all of our citizens would come under the covenantal ideals of the nation. The failure to do that has created just anger in the midst of us. For my part, what I'm maintaining is destroying the national covenant is not the way to restore the blessing of that covenant to all people. But boy, do we have to fix it. We do. Okay? How much farther am I going to go? Paul refers to these hostile beings, entities, in the unseen realm. Earlier in Ephesians, he wrote that God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. And there they are, above rulers, authorities, powers, and dominions. This was what Paul was writing to the churches in the area of Ephesus. I think probably um, very much the same churches that uh, John uh, was speaking to in, when he spoke his circular letter, uh, the book of Revelation. I think this was very much for the same people. And, and so their might and their power was not in who they, not in, it was not in their, their ability to have political clout, but it was in their ability to have standing with God. How much further? Stand there for. Why don't you do that and take your communion in your hand? Take your, if you don't have the communion elements, raise your hand. Anthony will come around and bring them to you. I want you to stand and prepare to receive the communion. I'm gonna read this over you. Stand therefore, having fastened the breastplate of truth and having put on, I mean, I'm sorry, had, having fastened the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes of your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit and with all prayer and supplication. I'm fascinated with this because basically what Paul did was he said, I want you to dress up like a Roman soldier. Wonder, I wonder what the armor of God would look like in a thermonuclear age <laughs> on the lips of the apostle <laughs> and taking ICBMs. <laughs> he did. He took the warfare technology of the time and said, you're clothed in it. Has everybody received? Praying at all times in the spirit with prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Also for me, that words might be given to me, opening my mouth boldly. 
to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So let me tell you the gospel as you're preparing to receive Christ. Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, but he humbled himself and incarnated, enfleshed himself and came into this world as a man and as a man humbled himself and submitted to the torture and death of the evil powers of this age. He allowed himself to be broken. He bore not only the shame and scorn of the world, but the Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The Bible says all of our sins were laid upon him. Hallelujah. Jesus told us to eat his flesh. Yes, eat the body through which sin was dealt with. And in so doing, to be healed. To be healed of our diseases and of the curse of sin. The body of Christ, church. The body of Christ is given for you. Let us receive him. To that end, keep alert. Hallelujah. With all perseverance, making supplication to all the saints. The gospel is, the mystery of the gospel is that Jesus Christ came into the world to deal with sin. The mystery of the gospel is that Jesus became one in his flesh with us that we might become one in blood with him. The mystery is that Jesus took the the variations, the differences in all of us and made common ground that we could meet in him. In Christ, we are one. In Christ, we are restored. In Christ, we are forgiven. In Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's only son, was shed for us. Receive him.